What is cracking, Fizzle Fiends? Welcome back to another episode of the Seltzer Time Podcast. It's your boy, Travis. Yeah, it's just me this week, cool kids. Uh, Ricky is currently out in New York City at a ad week or social media convention. He's learning how to make Seltzer Time official better on the internet, which is impossible, I know, but he's figuring it out somehow. So this week was supposed to be a friend of mine. Uh, my buddy Grim, but he has since not shown up. And saving my keister is also somebody that we were planning on having on the show eventually. Um, I didn't think we were going to have her on this soon, but I'm telling you, I'm pumped because she's somebody I talk to very frequently. Uh, big fan. Please welcome Nikki Erskine to the show. Hi, oh, Nikki. Stop. Hi, Travis. <laughs> so Nikki, for those who don't know, is employed by the city of Worcester. She works in the cultural development office. She's also one of the uh, directors of Start on the Street. She's also, oh my word, you do so much. Uh, my resume is tough to put together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's, she's overlapping she's stuff now. Co-host of Cultural Beat. Uh, cult uh, co-host of Culture Beat, a local show on WICN right uh, yep. about what's happening around the city yeah i missed any of the big ones uh i manage marketing for the worcester cultural coalition i'm the staff liaison to the worcester arts council um i'm recently on the board of discover central mass oh congratulations yeah it's uh exciting times they filled me up with a three-course lunch today so that was a big day <laughs> oh fancy pants yeah food coma after lunch so I guess we'll start with, you must like Worcester, huh? Yeah, it's all right. Fair so, enough. Uh, yeah, I've spent like my entire adult life in and around Worcester. Um, when I was a sophomore in college, I was going to Emerson for marketing. And a friend said, you know, hey, come come out to Worcester today. Run a stage at this art festival. And I'm like, all right, Worcester, like scary place like it had a reputation <laughs> i grew up as far southeast as you can get in worcester county um so like i i told my mom after the fact like oh my god you gotta come out to this and she was like worcester like are you okay are you safe um but that turned out to be the third start on the street event so that was like 2004 2005 okay and i went up to one of the directors because i was having a good time and i'm like hi like I imagine my voice hadn't dropped yet in my head. I'm always like, hi. <laughs> Do women's voice drop? I don't know. No, I don't think okay, so. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> but in my mind, it's like that prepubescent, like, hi, my name's Nikki. <laughs> the chipmunk um, voice. <laughs> so I was like, I'm I'm going to school for marketing and this is a really fun day. If I can help out at all, I'd love to. And that's when that was how I met Tina Zlody. And she said to me, great, you're in charge of marketing. And she ran away to go do something else in the festival. And it was terrifying, but also really empowering for an, a 19-year-old to, okay, 19. here's a big responsibility, run with it. So, I mean, back in that, back in those days, like we didn't have social media yet. That was, that was something that we barely had. Yeah, my sophomore year of college, that was the year that Facebook came out. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. Like, MySpace yeah. existed, but that's about it. Oh, yeah. Like, I had my top eight. Don't get me wrong, but... <laughs> that was so, tough. So, anyway, it was like, you know, going. started off with press releases, and I started writing some stuff for emails, and then social media became a thing. And, you know, eventually I graduated college, and I was working in the for-profit industry, but the stuff I did with Start on the Street just it made sense to me. It was something that was like really giving back to the community. It was a way to support local business, support local makers, local creatives that I always wanted to find a way to do that full-time, like get paid for it um, instead of just driving some faceless CEO's bottom line, which is pretty much what I was doing for, for my paycheck after college. Um, so when this job with the city came up, dozens of people were telling me like this is exactly up your alley apply for it apply for it so i did and i've been working with the city for a little over three years now which has That's me connected to even more people in arts and culture um it's it's fucking rad can i yeah. say that about my city job <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. It's a lot of yeah. work. We're understaffed and we need more resources and it's very stressful, but I've, I've never, I would never put up with this in a job that didn't actually have these results, these impacts on my community. So I dig it. And I'm still working with start on the street. I'm very excited that we're finally coming back after a two year hiatus. Okay. So I don't want to get too far ahead there. It's, it's possible. It's very possible that somebody listening may not know what start on the street is. I know it doesn't seem logical, but can you just give a quick overview about what start on the street is before we continue talking about this year's festivities? Yeah. So start on the street is uh, the largest and best asterisk arts, music, and cultural festival in central New England. The best, by the way, is as voted by Worcester Magazine readers for a straight decade. Ten years in a row, we won. Which is amazing. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Brush your shoulders. Um, Yeah, so Start really began because there was a need for a, a creative community, like an arts district somewhere in the city. There was so much creative energy, but back in... 2001, 2002, it didn't exist. So a lot of people who were arts educators or artists or just generally passionate about the arts got together and said, how can we make this happen? And the answer to that was to start up a series of arts, music, and cultural festivals, um, which have grown exponentially in the 20 years since that happened. Um, But just having having that outlet really created so much... um, just just kind of proof of concepts that these things are real. They are all over Worcester and the surrounding areas and they're worth investing in. Um, it's like one, some of my favorite memories of start are, are visiting um, small vendors that, that just happened to catch my eye. Like I remember specifically Steve to STEM back when we had a, uh, an event down on green street. And it was, it was these two women who liked growing plants and it was something they did on the side. That was fun. This is before their store? Oh, yeah. So like, beyond just their day jobs, they were like, you know, hey, let's put together these little terrariums and and it's cute. And, you know, I, I spent, you know, the $15 I had to spend <laughs> at that point in my life. Um, and then they did so well there. And then at the next event that they opened up a storefront um, down awesome. on, uh, on Shrewsbury Street. Then they outgrew that and they moved into Crompton. Then they outgrew that and they moved into a bigger space over there. And now it's like, that's it. That's the full time. There are multiple businesses that exist now because of the opportunity they had at start on the street, which is bizarre and amazing and humbling. Just that this is what exists when you create the infrastructure for these possibilities, these, these ideas to become a reality. Yeah. And And it's, (laughs) it's, it's incredible. And it's, it's through those types of programs that we can see actual local growth or like the small time artists feeling like they have a stake in the game. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the amount of people that start on the street is able to bring down to park F they shut down park F for, again, if you are not from Worcester, this is a major thoroughfare through the middle. Like what is one of the couple hearts of the city. Um, And, it probably sees easily a hundred thousand people a day on that street, just driving up and down. If you were sitting there counting traffic, so to park stop Ave that an average day, not yeah, start. not start on the street, <laughs> literally just Park Ave, just the impact that it sees to the city. So, like to shut down this street on a Sunday is a big friggin' deal, but you guys are attracting all these external people to come and spend their money on local merchandise and spend their money at local businesses and, and shop and support that it's all it's welcomed. It's welcomed every year. I haven't heard a single person like be like, Oh man, starts coming back. Damn it. <laughs> I'll forward you some emails. <laughs> is that true? Some people are pissed about it. There's a couple people who grumble like, Oh, my business is on like that specific stretch of park Ave between uh, pleasant and Highland. So between blue jeans, pizza and sure. Yeah. The, the other side of Elm park uh, near price chopper. Um, yeah. There, there's like, you know, a couple businesses who are like, what do you mean? I'm going to have to park a block away to show up to, for my shift. I don't know. We're only bringing 40,000 people to shop at your door. So <laughs> I was going to say, if Make you were, in, if you were in a product 
based business, you were going to sell stuff that day. If you're in a service based business, inform people about your business that day. Like I, I can't see how a business wouldn't benefit from that day. Big time, especially being right on that footprint. In fact, it's um, one something I was a little bummed about was when CC Lowell, the art oldest arts shop, art supply store in America, when they moved off the start on the street footprint, they're you know a block and a half away now, but they're actually getting into it. I don't know if you've seen their lineup for their summer shows yet, but it's uh, every Saturday in over the summer, they have uh, these small, uh, relatively small. Uh, arts markets where they have, you know, maybe a dozen vendors. It's usually Saturdays, but for start weekend, they moved it to Sunday so that they could oh, also cool. be part of it, cool. which is awesome. And and that's something that's actually been kind of cool about the pandemic, you know, big asterisk on that, <laughs> <laughs> but just a massive festival, like start on the street. It did prove the concepts that there are artists, there are, if you have a market, People will come to it. People want to support that kind of thing. With Start on the Street, just, you know, not being able to hold festivals for tens of thousands of people, these smaller markets popped up, like at CC Lowell, at Redemption Rock, at uh, the Burn Coat Center for Arts and Wellness, where they, they attract smaller crowds. But it's given an opportunity for these little ones to, to build up and find their footing and figure out how to do it in their own way that's not like this goliath thing that start on the street has somehow become <laughs> i agree i mean to, there's room for everybody especially like there are plenty of artists that aren't ready for start where they don't they don't know how to build a setup for it and it's just they don't have the experience yet so it's through those yeah. smaller markets through those times that they're able to build confidence and build their actual setup yeah we were talking to uh jess Curtin a few weeks ago who ran is it punk cake? The one at Ralph's? Yep. Punk cake. The one at Ralph's. I was on the board for that. It was super fun to run together. She called it baby start. And I it and kind I of was, that. but either way, like start on the street for artists, the, the vendor fee is like, I, I should know this off the top of my head because applications are open. I think it's around $150. It's under 200 for sure, because the goal is to be accessible. Sure. Um, to, you know, these smaller artists, these people who might be doing this sort of thing on the side. Um, but even then, 150 bucks, if you're not ready for it, if you don't have a 10 by 10 foot space that you can fill with your work, that's a barrier. So I love the fact that these smaller things are in existence now. They People do know about them. They know, hey, I can spend 20 bucks Maybe. Yeah, I think punk cake was 10 bucks when I started, 20 bucks when we finished. But that's exactly the point where at such a low investment, um, there was you could prove your concept, but we didn't see we didn't see the types of audience like you were describing at Start on the Street. We saw, you know, a few hundred people in a day and they might have had one sale or they may only had a couple sales, but it was through mm -hmm. those times that they're able to understand how to do it. Totally. And we've had numbers. Go ahead. <laughs> and that's that's really valuable, actually, with uh, with the city right now in the cultural development division. That's something that we're, um, you know, we've been talking and thinking a lot about, too, is, you know, even even for people in their 30s, their 50s, their 70s, like they might not know how to get this sort of thing going. What about for young people? Like if there's that barrier for people who already have, you know, these networks that exist, how do young people ever learn about it? How do we bring, how do we lessen that barrier to entry even further? So we started the uh, Create 508 program uh, last year, which is uh, like the business side of art for young people who are creative, whether they're into photography, painting, performance, whatever. They have all of these workshops that they can attend and it's it's a paid attendance, like they're paid hourly to take part in these classes and ultimately put together a festival that takes place at, at the end of August where they can sell their goods, perform for a crowd, whatever. This will be the second year that we do it actually. That's and awesome. uh, Worcester Youth Poet Laureate Adaya Mejia actually- Upcoming guest in two weeks. Yeah, oh, nice. Um, that's how he got kind of tapped into things that are going on with the city. And it's awesome to just have this opportunity for you know, we, we kind of joke that start on the street feels like the man, 
now some people think of it as am i good enough am i is my work of that caliber can i really do this if starting on the street is the man in some people's perspective certainly city hall certainly the city of worcester is the man so to have these these opportunities where where young people who are just starting out just starting to find their voices and really make it heard for them to be able to work with us and be able to get the connections and understand how all of the paperwork and the processes work it's awesome i'm really excited that this sort of thing is is existing and getting such a good reception yeah i see i don't i don't see start on the street as the man i see it as the big leagues in a way like i see it as yeah. like the premier market where you need to spend some time in the minor leagues. You need to spend some time at the smaller markets to, to just understand how to talk to an audience, mm -hmm. understand how to price your goods. Like mm. pricing things appropriately is one of the biggest challenges of being an artist. Big if time. Have, yeah. If you have nothing but paper prints, how do you specify a, a value to that? Because in, in print value, you're looking at, I don't know, a buck and a half, like in printing costs, but that's not going to make you any money. What's your time worth? Bingo. How long did it take you to get to the point where you're producing this kind of work? And you actually remind me of something I've got written down in my, my dream journal of things I want to do, things I want to accomplish someday. And that's a, a salary.com equivalent for gig workers, for people who do sell individual kinds of things. Like what, what even is that ballpark? I've done zero research on this. I had the idea. I wrote it down. Tell me more. Now, how would it work? <laughs> you were looking at me like this already exists. No, I want to see if it does. And if it doesn't, you're sitting on a million dollar idea or we're going to give somebody listening to this podcast a million dollar idea. How does it work in your brain? I'll, I'll be honest. I will be the, oh my God, the guy who invented penicillin of this idea. I just want it to get out there and exist. Respect. I don't necessarily have the bandwidth to do it. So do you know salary.com? Yes. So for anyone who doesn't, you go onto the website and you plug in, like, here's a title, like, here's my job title, or here's my responsibilities. And here's my market. If it, you're in Boston, Seattle, wherever, and it'll tell you, here's the range that people get paid for those, for that same job. So you can see, okay, I'm making well above average, or as is more my experience, I'm making well below average for right. that job. And then that's an awesome negotiating tool when it's time for reviews and raises, or you're just going into a new job. So I can be able to confidently say, not just, oh, I want to make $100,000, but I should be making $100,000 just to be in the middle. And my experience is actually way higher. So to have something like that for gig workers, where you have, you know, if you're a, a performer, okay, we're a five piece band, we've been playing out for three years to be able to look somewhere and say, okay, here's what other bands are getting paid. Just strengthens the negotiating power of the individual artist to be able to say, you know, I'm a photographer with 10 years experience. And like, this is, this is my specialty. Like I shoot 35 millimeter. Okay. What are, what are other people selling prints for? What are other people selling originals for? Um, so my dad's a photographer and this was a question that he had for me, like, how much should I price things at? And I'm like, dude, I have no idea. <laughs> like, this is not something I spent a lot of time thinking about. So I, I have no idea how to answer that question, but so often I see artists, performers, whomever get ripped off because you should be doing this for exposure. No, that's, that's fucking horrible. Agreed. Couldn't <laughs> agree more. Hashtag pay your artists. Yeah, hell yeah. A little bit about what you're describing exists in the Graphic Artist Guild. Um, and they have like a book that they put out every two years where it gives median price ranges for designers and illustrators and photographers and people related to the graphic arts uh, world. But it doesn't have the bands that you're describing. Mm. To your point, it also doesn't like break it down to the point of what these artists are selling their prints for. There's more like what are they selling their time for? What are they selling their, their services for? So yeah. I could absolutely see the value if everybody's willing to be honest, to go on and be like, I'm selling a five by seven postcard for $7 a piece. And it's selling, you know, 
80% of the time. Because that, I agree that information, if shared, has a lot of power because then together as artists, we can understand how much people are willing to spend. But for now, we're left to price things our own ways and absolutely leave money on the table and price things underpriced and give shit away for years. Yeah, because it's hard to advocate for yourself, especially when you don't have information about what else is going on in the community and individual contractors like artists and i i mean all kinds of creative creativity in that you don't you don't crowdsource you don't have a database where this information goes so having that i think would would just strengthen how well artists are paid i agree i agree get that information out there yeah, yeah. Like talk about your salaries. Talk about how much people are paying you because it only makes sure everybody else gets paid what they should be. Mm -hmm. So some, if anybody listening to this decides to do it, please, you have my blessing. Maybe give me a shout out in your terms and conditions. I don't care. Right. Just it should exist. It really should. <laughs> nobody reads those. No, nobody reads it. <laughs> um. Okay, so we talked a little bit about what Start on the Street is. What should people expect for this year? Uh, I mean, I think we wanna, we all want to think it's going to go back to business as usual. Uh, but we don't know. I mean, the pandemic is still going on. We don't know if there's going right. to be another swing. But at this point, it seems... Knocking on wood. Heard it. <laughs> Rocky. Yeah, so did Rocky. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I did knock on wood. I'm terrible. Okay. Yeah, so this year we're still planning on shutting down the same half mile to three quarters of a street, three quarters of a mile of Park Ave to host 300 artists, uh, a few dozen food vendors between trucks and a vegan food court and the um, packaged food. Um, we're hoping for at least two stages of live music, but to be honest, and this one gets a little personal, uh, we've had some losses in our yeah. community. Um, the performance committee used to be five people were, we're, we're down, <laughs> we're down to pretty much just me and I do enough else <laughs> that somebody else, we need to find somebody else to come in and run point on that. Um, if anybody's then we have area nonprofits. Um, you know, for people who want to learn how to get involved with the community. Um, as you were talking about earlier, Travis, uh, about the woman who does the, the leather, we love to have people who demonstrate their craft and let people participate and get hands on with these things. Um, like actually enjoy the creative process on their own. So all of this is going to be part of the plans for September 18th. Cool. Super, super cool. September 18th. Mm -hmm. And we're still looking for people to to join our ranks and be part of making the magic, too. So yeah. for all of that, you can visit startonthestreet.org. Smooth. Yeah. You must work in marketing. I did a radio once. I did a radio. <laughs> that sounds odd. Yeah, it sounds uh, sexual. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, video killed the radio star. So... Uh, I do keep I keep staring at myself because my hair is not sitting right. Oh, I, I just got my hair cut and it's like a little shorter than I'm used to. I think you look. So I keep messing with it. What? But I said I think you look gorgeous, but I'm biased. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, September 18th. Startonthestreet.org. You guys are looking for people. You're looking artists, and all the applications are open. So people want to vend, people want to support, people want to come party with us. Go do it. Yeah, actually, as long as I'm on the website, the deadline. Oh, wow. Artist applications are only available until May 22nd. Guys, get on it. Get on it. Yeah, all the other applications are open at least another month or two, like kids activities. Uh, street performers. There's also a youth market where young people can, um, you know, come in and for a fraction of the price, you know, check it out. Um, hey guys. Okay, so it is 150 for a street space, a 10 by 10 tent. Yeah, yeah so I was, I was right. 
So again, but the major yeah. leagues, if you're not, if you don't have enough product to sell $150 and then some, you're just not ready for start on the street. And there are plenty of other places for you to check out. But the other big festivals, like we've, for our, our winter festival, we've had it like at, I don't want to disparage anybody by name, but other venues in Worcester that aren't Union Station. And it was cost prohibitive on our end. Um, it, it makes sense why there are there are some of these big, more more capitalist centric art festivals that do charge six hundred bucks for a day. Oh, I paid I paid three days for Boston Comic Con. I think I paid four hundred or five hundred dollars for an artist booth. And again, we barely made even. Yeah, I sold like I I sold my ass off. I was talking to every person, every ear that would <laughs> lend itself my way. Yeah, trying to sell them our weird comic books. But yeah, <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> well, that's maybe that's what you were doing. Maybe you should have stopped talking. <laughs> I maybe. Well, I mean, we we've been to we've been to vendor events before. I hate when people talk to me. I just want to look at it and see if it's right for me. Don't don't tell me about your things. I just want to try on my comic and try on your comic book. Oh, we have a comment. I wasn't paying attention. Kombucha Garden. There you go. All right, Matt. Let's set it up. Hit them up, Matt. They'll <laughs> be down. Info at startonthestreet.org. Um, so uh, we've discussed at the beginning that Start on the Street is not the only thing you do. We've talked a little bit about your position at the city. Tell me more about Culture Beat. So people can tune in to WICN Thursdays. Yeah, Thursdays at 6.30. Uh, this week's episode is actually really solid. David and I had a lot of fun putting it together. Uh, so David is my, my friend. David Ginsburg. Yep. Uh, he approached me maybe a year and a half ago about like, we, we've got a good rapport. Like, is there something we can do there? We, we need content for the radio. And I feel like there's something we can do. So I was like, all right, well, I do happen to know about a lot of events and artistic, creative, cultural happenings in the city. Let's put this together. And uh, the first few episodes are a little painful to listen to now. Um, but we've got a good rhythm now. So half an hour, 6.30s, uh, 6.30 Thursdays, me and Davey G, or the Gins, as he likes to call himself, uh, take turns talking about what's coming up and making fun of each other. So, I mean, as somebody that has used this show for years, or not years, but a year to pull information for stuff that's coming up, you know, just for my own benefit and for Seltzer time, it's, it is a treasure trove of arts and culture information that's happening around the Worcester. Wait, I'm your resource. I've told you that I've absolutely between that and your newsletter. More, I'll be honest, more your newsletter. I've read your newsletter for years, but uh, yeah, it's I when I was building content for this show, I was looking for the easiest place who have already done the hard work. And between Culture B and the, the newsletter, the Cultural Coalition's newsletter, there is everything covered all in one spot where I don't have to work hard, and that makes it easy for me. That hurts a little, but I'm also happy to just get that information out there. And hopefully people are actually using these resources. You? How did I hurt you? You succeeding off of my, my uh, hard work. Well, there's that too. I should have given you more credit. <laughs> I should have shouted it out both soon. It was just the way you said it. <laughs> I don't want to, I can't show people how the sausage is made. That's true. We don't have a sausage maker as a member of the Worcester Cultural Coalition. We should work on that. Culinary arts are arts. Artisan sausage. So yeah. uh, <laughs> I could take a weird turn. Do you want to? Do you want to steer around it? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I mean, this this point, it's it's just us chilling. Nice. So yeah, uh, definitely check out Culture Beat. If you don't catch it live, you can check it out wicn.org. Mm-hmm. And listen to all the back catalog episodes. Yeah, we've started having guests on. Oh, it's, fun because it's not just me and David talking, you know, taking turns 
every week. We've had, uh, let's see, Lisa Condit from the Hanover Theater. We had uh, Tia Stamont, who is one of my favorite local artists. And then uh, Vanessa Hoga as well from Guardians of Traditions, also a wonderful human being. Yeah, um, yeah it brings a fun energy because we get, like, we don't know each other as intimately as as David and I do after a year and a half of having a radio show. So it's fun to to bounce off that energy and just learn something else and, you know, share the mic. Oh, it is hard as somebody that has experienced it tonight. It is hard yeah. to come up with enough conversation and, and content to present as a radio show. So to have that, to have somebody fresh come in to just share their story does make the the production far easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a lot a lot less of a heavy lift, and I feel like by taking a close look at one thing, it makes it just makes it that much easier to listen to as opposed to reading a bullet pointed list. Sure. You know, I, I try not to do that, but that takes time to, to stitch together and like find the patterns of how one thing merges into the next and be able to cover everything from, you know, theater and live music to job openings and grant opportunities. Yeah. That's like, that's like creating the perfect mixtape. You can't just go all bangers. You have to go highs and lows and then all the thing, everything between. So since uh, since I had to explain start on the street, do you want to explain what a mixtape is for our, the younger listeners? So listeners, there were a time in our lives where <laughs> we put together mixtapes. Truthfully, I'm more familiar with a mixed CD than a mixtape. But regardless, the idea is collecting music like a playlist, right? A playlist that they can take with them, but without the internet. It's a it's an internet free playlist. And on these, yeah. these either tapes or CDs that they would listen to in headphones connected to a Walkman that they'd have to walk extremely steady. I'm not talking about the CD player because I was the master of not getting the little buff thing to go off. You know what I mean? The one that I had later, I want to say it was like sophomore year of high school, had a 10-second buffer. That shit never skipped. I was a goddamn pro. But anyway, the mixtape is is not just about pouring every good song in a string of songs that's fine that's like a party jams tape nobody really wants to listen to that when they're by themselves you know just kind of chilling the perfect mixtape as defined by high fidelity the movie uh starts with a high comes in with a low and then brings it back up with another high and then from there it's dealer's choice and to craft the perfect mixtape, I have CDs that I've put together from high school and college that if I know I'm going on a road trip, I will look for. You and I are going to go on a road trip. I'm going to look for one of these CDs, and you're going to hate half the music, but it's cool because that's fine. That's part Maybe of what it's. Combine Spotify playlist. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do have that. <laughs> no, but you're talking about a mixed CD. That's different than a mixtape. A mixtape is a love letter. Oh, that took that, hours to put together, waiting for the right song to come on the radio at the right time. Oh, and then you're talking about record. doing it that way. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. That's a different thing entirely. I agree. Do you have, so I knew early on in my life that I wanted to do some type of radio or like content creation for mass consumption. So I would practice doing radio in my room. I had a little like tape recorder. And I remember listening to my own voice and being like, who the hell is that? Did you do that kind of stuff? I don't know if you can tell from my reaction, but you you hit like a big vein from my childhood that I'm actually pretty embarrassed about. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. Well, so it can't be as bad as like giving a walkie talkie to your siblings. I know you're you're kind of like an only child in a way, but I would give a walkie talkie to my siblings and make them listen to my, Oh, hell yeah. Rockwell designed face full of hardcore. Uh, that's Rockwell. He would do, uh, he would do. Am the, I supposed to be seeing comments right now? No, I put it up on the screen. See oh, I see it. Anyway. So what did you do as a kid? Uh, so anytime my dad would be shooting video, I would jump in front and just explain whatever, boring thing he was looking at as if I was any kind of authority on the matter. Uh, and I would also 
I'm actually embarrassed about this. I would stand next to the TV and just like lip sync along as if I was the person on the commercial or the newscaster. You just knew it that well, or would you like riff it on the spot? I would riff it on the spot. I would just like improvise acting out whatever the person was saying. We need to see if your dad still has this has this footage. <laughs> I want to see little Nikki explaining. Oh God, Margos are terrible. I'm sure they are, but I'm sure her voice is hysterical. <laughs> uh, God, I haven't thought about that in a really long time. I totally thought uh... I did that. That weird <laughs> shit. I was a ham. I was such a ham. I believe it. As I would. Uh, so reserved. Yeah, completely. Way more adulting. Uh, I would put together these mixtapes, which were or not mixtapes, but like playlists that were all these CDs that my dad, my mom and dad did that stupid, like pay a penny and get 20 CDs from the whatever CD yeah. people, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So we had a bunch of CDs and I would pull like one track from each of these albums and put it together as my radio playlist and then give my siblings a walkie talkie, make them walk. Away. I was the oldest. So I bullied him into taking the, with them everywhere around in the house and then play the songs through this tiny shitty speaker through my boom box. So they were getting like not only secondhand, but thirdhand audio. It was high quality radio 10 times better than this radio of po uh, this podcast hurtful no not because of you, you because of me and my own listen i was in my prime then i just i knew how the world worked now i'm all like you know i don't know if i understand everything entirely wasn't it great when we knew everything life was easier life was a little easier in a way so. i mean i was a dunketeer then but dunketeer that's such an odd term. Thank you. I think I'm the only one who uses it. So, no, I mean, I've definitely heard it. I dated a, a, a woman that worked at Dunkin' Donuts. She knew I liked the Cruller Donuts, so she would bring me like three or four Cruller Donuts when she got out of work. Hmm. I feel like that was the only reason I dated her. Because <laughs> you didn't have $3? Well, I was fat, and <laughs> they came to me. Well, no, I mean, there was a time in college where uh, there was a Dunkin' Donuts next to our our dorm where we went over and sweet talked to the people that worked there and like did, I think we had to sweep. They made us sweep and do some of their other chores, but they gave us the trash bag full of donuts that they threw out that night. It was actually two trash bags full of donuts. So we carried these back to our dorm rooms, like some kind of weird Santa Claus. And then we had a, <laughs> yeah, Rockwell was there bags, two bags of these donuts and yep. then proceeded to have a donut fight in the middle of our suite just hucking these stale, like half stale donuts at each other. It was awesome. Cool. So when I was 16 and I worked at Dunkin' Donuts and the stoners would roll up to get our end of the night trash donuts. Trash donuts. They, they'd show up on their bikes and each of them with, you know, a giant bag over their shoulder. I started wondering like, okay, like these kids don't really need these donuts. Can we donate them to a homeless shelter, a... Uh, anything and that's when i started 16 i'm asking my manager like what are we doing here this is this is a problem but none of the none of those shelters soup kitchens veterans they groups they can't accept the food and that's such a bummer it's so wasteful the people want to like you talk to people over there they want to take the food they just can't their their hands are tied because okay. it's again probably somebody somewhere down the line sued because the food wasn't prepared in such a way and got a bunch of money from somebody's charity and it fucking ruined the whole system and it sucks and it's not covered and what if somebody has i don't know if there was ever to be a plague again and somebody sneezed on it like you could have an outbreak yeah hi cheat so <laughs> this um, is what he does to me by the way when he wants to say hi and i'm at the computer he stands i can't reach my mouse my keyboard anything just, and i will bleed if i try to yeah he just interjects himself into your life and into your existence yeah. and you have to deal with it. He's just part of this now. <laughs> Adorable. I, so uh, back to Dunkin' Donuts and throwing out food. I knew a kid that uh, lived for a bit in the trash can and the dumpster behind a Dunkin' Donuts. So he actually worked at this Dunkin' Donuts for a bit 
Um, the kid was brilliant. When I knew him, he had uh, either side of a Ritalin tat I uh, Ritalin pill tattooed on his wrists. His name was Chris. Really smart kid. Uh, so when I knew him, he was making music and was kind of like out there, but had, I don't know, smart. At one point in his life, he was homeless prior to getting scholarship and getting his shit back together. And he lived in a trash can outside Dunkin' Donuts. Prior to that, he worked at the Dunkin' Donuts where he would go down into the basement on his break and do whippets off the cans of whipped cream that they stored in the basement. Yep. And one day he's doing, he's down there doing whippets and his uh, general manager comes in and the boss. So it's the, it's like the county manager and the general manager, whatever they come down the stairs and they see Chris just covered in whipped cream with a box of empty cans around him. And the only thing he's able to say is it's not what it looks like. <laughs> it was exactly what it looked like, but he gets terminated he lives in the trash can behind or the dumpster rather behind Dunkin' Donuts and literally is living off of those donuts that they throw away. Isn't that awful? He was able to turn his life around for a bit. Yeah, so I that's what I'm waiting for is that you're telling me that he's smart, but you have given me a lot of evidence to the contrary. Well, I mean, to me, that's resourceful. That's resourceful to know where the food is. And then I mean, you know who probably didn't spend his weekend looking for new pillows is the guy who's sleeping on all those donuts. Well, <laughs> I don't mean to make you feel bad. The reason he didn't spend his weekend looking for pillows is because he's dead. But um... <laughs> <laughs> like that. What? You can't set me up like that. I know. I know. I'm sorry. He he had a rough life. He So when I met him, he had kind of turned his life around, got into school. Uh, oh, he did work at Sleepy's. He worked at Sleepy's uh, and sold mattresses. He also Thank worked you, at Matt. that would he, would have been the appropriate thing to follow up with Travis. He worked at Best Buy, and when con people into spending way too much money, so you know how we've talked about like there are some salespeople that are just completely unscrupulous and like separated from society, and they're just in it for the money. This mm -hmm. dude was super into making people pay as much money as physically possible because it just made him feel good. Like not for the benefit of the financial game, for knowing that he's hurting their pockets as much as possible. He was an interesting dude. Hmm. So Best Buy had this stupid stop button to stop the, uh, the spam from coming onto your computer. It was literally just a surge protector with a giant red stop button that just turned off your, your surge protector. And it would just mm -hmm. turn off your computer. Doesn't really protect you against shit. He would pride himself on selling four or five of those a week. And I think it was like, I don't know, 60, 80 bucks. It was something stupidly priced for something that was dumb. So, I mean, anyway. Staples sells the easy button. Yeah. I don't know. Do they sell it? I don't it? know if there's any similar. I figure like they, they just give those that. away. Or at least I've seen them at people's offices. Yeah, same. That was easy. The smoke really helped with like building that right resonance for that. It was nice. <laughs> There's no smoke here. This is Twitch. We can't do that. So, uh, you and your just hookah. Say that one more time. You and your hookah. Hookah killed the dance floor, apparently. <laughs> That's what Chris Michelotti told me. That's right. How did you enjoy George's art opening the other night? Did you have a good time? I did. It was nice to see a bunch of people from just, you know, the art scene. And his work is cool. He has I, a way of seeing the world that I really appreciate. Like, these were, like, yes, the, the subject matter was denim as a focus, but these were portraits. These were portraits of, of individual people and, like, really how they approached the world. You know the one which was, which was my favorite. I think which it's I shouted about. <laughs> I think it's, <laughs> it's in... awesome to see that that multiple of them have sold. Like for somebody relatively young in the game, I was so happy to see it. So this is the photo that Nikki and I bought. Uh, <laughs> for anybody who hasn't put it together, Nikki and I are seeing each other, and we're very happy about it. I'm a not so secret lady friend. 
Yeah. So this is this fun photo that Nikki pointed out that where the cat is standing, it says hell and the cat's blocking off the O. So it's basically the hell cat photo. It's basically what my cat is currently doing to my keyboard access. I saw myself in that image. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really fantastic work in this zine and in that show. I think it's up for a little while longer at Electric Haze. Oh, Which is oh, awesome. Oh. Yeah. But it was really cool to your point. Those were portraits. Those were candid shots at times of just people at a place like living their lives. No. And that's what I appreciate about George's eye and, and what he's able to capture. It's not, they don't feel overly staged or like positioned in a way that feels unnatural. Mm -hmm. Is cheat attacking you? <laughs> yeah. That's why I have to herd him away. Like a matador. Pretty much. Well, the opposite of a matador. The matador attracts. You have to like attack him with a hoodie to make I him go away. Shoe. shoe. A matta shoe. But neither of us get hurt. I understood. Cats are fun. I'll disagree. Publicly. Privately, I think her cats are fun. But I can't let people know I'm a cat guy. I'm a dog person and a juice guy. You're a juice guy. I'm a juice guy. When is the last time you juiced, by the way? So I'm a juice guy. <laughs> and? George's show was really cool. How much did we spend on produce that just went bad in our fridges because he didn't juice it? I really liked all the denim photos. Multiple tens of dollars. Multiple tens of dollars. <laughs> It's hard. It's it's not hard, but it's just arduous. It's, I don't know. I like fresh juice, but I don't always like the effort of standing by the juicer and putting everything in the slot. Compressor? I have no idea what you call that. But more importantly, you know what we got to figure out? What's that? What on earth that fruit was in the Bahamas. Oh, my God. What that juice was. That juice. It was so good. Uh, didn't we decide it was guava? We we did. I mean, kitchen so, Travis kind of yeah. helped us with that. <laughs> kitchen Travis. <laughs> well, yeah. So like, there was there was the first day we got there. Nikki and I went to the Bahamas like what a month ago. And um, has it been that long already? The view from the balcony was fantastic, and the resort was okay. But uh, the food was pretty good. And we had this juice early on where neither one of us could ID the fruit because they wouldn't put a sign that says, like, this juice is this fruit. They just left a piece of the fruit. And you were up to figure out for yourself, you know, hey, what the hell is that? Because there's multiple languages being spoken there. And they don't want to translate, like, guava into six languages. So it just they, a slice of it just dying on the counter. They have do it for all the other food that they cook. I don't understand why they would just... They didn't label, hardly labeled anything. That's fair. <laughs> so uh, this juice we had was, but we both really dug it. But it wasn't there any other day we were there, and we would we asked another dude named Travis, oddly enough, who was working at the resort we were staying at, and he had somebody make us the juice, but they made it differently. They didn't make it in like a slow juicer. They made it in a blender. And I think there was ice involved. So it turned it into a smoothie, which ended up making it taste way differently than what we were. Really remember. watered down. Yeah. So we're still trying to figure out what the hell this juice was because it was good. Yeah. So we got to actually fire up the juicer to figure it out. Fine. <laughs> break it back out. It's already it's, it's sitting there ready. Great. But just to steer this, this interview towards a close, Nikki how do people find out about what you're doing? WICN.org to listen to Culture Beat. Mm -hmm. uh, Startonthestreet.org to find out about Starch. Uh, each of them also have social medias. Uh, now that I have finally figured out the nonsense that was going on with the Worcester Cultural Coalition, we were hacked by Russia. Uh, which was Russia. Fun. Um, yeah, they got onto our, our Instagram, but I steered around that. Worcester Cultural Coalition. 
on Instagram and our website and also sign up for our newsletters at worcesterculture.org. Yeah, great resource. To do, and we have a tremendous amount of resources in Worcester. It'd be a shame to not take advantage of them now that they're all open again. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like I said, I said it before, I'll say it again. You build a fantastic list of events and you always make sure people know what's going on. So thank you for doing the hard work for informing everybody about the cool shit happening. My pleasure. So Nikki, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for being in my life. And thank (laughs) you for saving me when Grimmy Turner decided to just no call, no show tonight. I'll send him an invoice. Please do. Yeah. (laughs) Charge him a lot. If only there was some resource I can go to to figure out what my time was worth on that. That's what right. I really want somebody to do. But anyway, right. thanks That's for the having me, Thank <laughs> you. We'll catch up in a bit. And for you, my dear listener, that is going to do it for this week's Seltzer Time. Thank you so much for sticking around. Thank you in the chat for sticking here. Rockwell, you know I love you and I love your kids. Please say hi. Uh, Matt Crafty Kombucha, thanks for checking us out tonight. Uh, for podcast listeners, go and find everything you need to know about Seltzer Time at seltzertime.com. Uh, or you can find us on the interwebs at Seltzer Time Official. We have merchandise. We have all the old podcasts. We have a list of upcoming stuff. We're going to be doing more stuff here soon. So definitely make sure to check that out and find me at Hunchback Travis. Find Ricky at DickChuck77. We're uh, kicking around New York. Thank you very much for listening. We'll smell you later. Bye.